Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fittest Devil podcast. We took a week's break. Uh, world events have been a bit crazy, so we're back. We have uh, a very good, an old friend of mine, Jen Kish. She's a personal trainer and a former Olympian bronze medalist and the captain of uh, Team Canada's women, women's rugby. We're going to tell you more about her after. And we talk a lot about uh, some of the social media walking on eggshells that uh, people who have higher profiles have experienced, some of Jen's own experiences. Uh, we talk about her experience playing rugby and playing high school football against men, some of what she does with her own branding, and a lot about uh, building trust and relationships with clients and creating client success. And then uh, there's an interesting section on her injury history and her history with concussions and some of the post-concussion syndrome issues that she's been experiencing she shares with us. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Hopefully enjoy this episode and uh, subscribe if you uh, just found us and uh, give us some likes on social media. Shut up and sit down. Everyone, uh, we are back. We took a week off. The world has been full of, I mean, there's been a lot going on. I think anyone who's uh, staying current knows that we have, obviously, COVID's a big thing. We've had the protests in the United States. There were some, you know, some very, very difficult issues that we're facing. So we decided we we're just going to, you know, step out of the, the space and not compete against people who probably you, you should hear more from. But we also have a dedicated audience who have asked us, that as a bit of a break from a lot of this the stuff that gets in the news media, that they, they still also want to hear the traditional, you know, the fitness, the business, the podcast stuff. And we're going to intersperse a few things. But we brought on a very good, a very old friend of mine. Jen Kish is on with us today. Welcome, Jen. I'll tell you a little about you. You did do a good job. It's a you, Canadian oh, icon. Canadian icon. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me do it. So, Jen... <laughs> On top of being one of my favorite human beings in the world, we started out as trainers together at the same gym a decade ago. Uh, she also happens to have a Olympic bronze medal for Canada. She was the team captain for the uh, Olympic women's rugby sevens, and you were in uh, Rio. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. And you, uh, you have a pretty big following. We're going to talk a little bit about some of that. We were talking off air. you got a pretty big following, and you've also been a really outspoken person for uh, LGBTQ plus and women's, uh, I guess, rights and issues within sport and the fitness industry. So I think we should probably touch on that too. But like I said, it's great to have you on. You know what, I should hire you. So for when I do like interviews, like you were like my intro. It's just like, you nailed that. Yeah, I was going to go like Canadian icon and like does body weight stuff on her Instagram. That would have like not done you justice. <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> it's also worth mentioning too is so, uh, for our regular listeners, unfortunately, we've had to cancel uh, the Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium for 2020, given everything. It would have been probably too hard to pull off. But uh, Jen actually co-emceed with me in 2019, and you're good, you're good friends now with Megan Calloway. I know you guys do a lot of stuff back and forth on your social media. So Megan's been a, a podcast guest of ours, and she was one of our presenters. And, and you and I have been talking about getting you on here for a very long time. Jen's actually one of the few people early on who actually said no to us. She turned us down to be a guest. <laughs> She was like, she just got her blue check mark, and she's like, yeah, you got to pay up. No. Yeah, you, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's because in the fitness industry, there's the judgmental aspect that's in it. 
And every trainer can sit there and say, I don't judge, but that's just a bunch of bullshit because we all know, and we've all done it where you're training your client. And if you're at a commercial gym, you're looking over and you've seen some trainer train their client and you know, you're seeing, um, them having their, their client do a back squat, um, that clear, clearly doesn't know how to do a back squat. And then they get stuck at the bottom of the squat and they're folding and all this, all this stuff. And you're sitting there thinking, what are you doing? Right. And so the reason, you know, and that, I, I mean, you might get it a little less when it comes to the smaller, the smaller gyms, like the private gyms, because it's more of a family, but at a commercial gym, because the turnover rate is so high, you know, like three, four months, boom, new trainer in. Um, and I don't know what it is. It's like people get their certification. You can make a lot of money. You go in and it's a lot harder than what you think. So I think you have to be a little passionate about it. But anyways, regardless, the reason why I've said no in, at the beginning is because like, I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. And, and I know I know what I'm talking about, but you're sitting in front of a bunch of trainers who are well-educated for the most part, you know, you have really highly intelligent people in the room um, with specific, <clears throat> who work in specific fields, whether it's physio or, or, or sports specific um, conditioning, et cetera, et cetera. So I, you know, I have that fear of, of um, being judged and I'm still, you know, even though I'm this like Olympic bronze medalist and I've trained with the top trainers in the world and have, you know, trained professionally for so long and, and had my certification, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm, st I still feel relatively new in the fitness world. You know, I, I, I worked with you, Andrew, and I think I was there for like, was I there for like four years or something like that? Three to four years. Yeah. And, and, and then I kind of had to Victoria to train for the Olympics. Yeah. So then I had to put that on pause. And so I, I kind of, not that I stopped learning, I kind of did like a, practicum I guess for you know the duration of my career learning from you know the the top trainers in Canada um, but going back into the industry you know I, I feel like a newbie so that's kind of why I said no not not for any other reason other than the fact that I still feel like I'm a little small fish in the in the pond I like my version better yours was like very logical and rational what was yours Mine was that you like got you got you got so big on Instagram that you're like yeah you got to pay up, <laughs> you got to pay for the Jen Kish experience and we're like whoa like we're just starting out like we need we need you to help us and we're begging you and we're like we need the views because like we need to get followers and you're like no no cold like, cutthroat and then oh, that's shit you know what? when you guys um I will eventually do it work by I will eventually do it but I want to make sure that you know. Um, it's a good, uh, you know, it's your guys's, um, the evolve is, is a name and I don't want to tarnish that. And I do, I want people who pay hundreds of dollars to go to this, you know, to go to the, the, um, the summit to, to really have, you know, an, an amazing experience and not to leave reviews as like, ah, it's too much or it's not worth it. Or there's this trainer who didn't know shit. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to make sure that if I'm going to be a, a speaker or a presenter that I'm going to really like knock it out of the park. And that's just with anything. That's with keynote speeches that I do. That's with whatever appearance I do. I want to make sure that it's a thousand percent solid. So I, I'm delivering a product. Right. And that's important as a trainer, as a person, as a public figure. You, you hit on something that's probably really relevant. I think 
anyone who just heard you say that is probably gonna be like, oh man, I feel the same way where they're, they, they may be interested in one day speaking or presenting or writing. I've written on this particular topic and it, it can be very easy to hide away from taking the tough initial steps to get into that space. So I, I like to encourage people to, you know, step out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself. I mean, I've never really sought out the whole idea of being the, the speaker presenter. I ended up emceeing our event and honestly, it was really fun. I enjoyed it, but I would rather create opportunities for other people. Um, you know, like we look at our, our event, right? We had nine people there and, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll go into this in a little bit, but we had a really diverse event and we chose people based on merit. Uh, you know, not because we had to check off a bunch of boxes, but, you know, our, our speaker lineup, four of nine women, um, two uh, African-American presenters and two members of the LGBTQ plus community. And that also didn't count you as my co-MC either. And it was just a, bu a bunch of really good people. And the ratings on this whole thing were incredible. So I, I think about this because I've gone to conferences before that have included really good people with really good value systems who are great presenters but it's been like 24 25 white guys <laughs> maybe a woman and uh and that's sort of it right and uh, so I, I know that's a sort of a separate topic but i want to at least mention that and i think that these type of events it also means that you know someone like yourself maybe when presented with the opportunity maybe it's important that you do step up because how many people follow you you have this big 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 following and how many people follow you and look to you as sort of a leader. So, you know, maybe under you to take those opportunities because if you don't take it, maybe someone else who follows you isn't inspired to do the same. We were talking off air about your following and being attacked for uh, a review on a burger and having hate followers. So I wanted to let you talk about that because this has been a really funky <laughs> in this world. And there's practically a witch hunt for people who didn't do their social media just right. Yeah, I think, you know, as a public figure, people automatically put you on this, like, you're not a human kind of level where you have to conduct your way, like conduct yourself in a certain way and you have to watch your P's and Q's. And I've, I've really never been that type of person because I'm just true to who I am and, and my values and I think that's why I have a following is because I'm just real. So if I decide to endorse a product, people know that I'm just not endorsing it because they're paying me. I'm endorsing it because I believe in it. And, and I think to be authentic in, in what you're doing is, is everything, whether you're a trainer or whatever profession you see yourself in. And so um, with that, you know, not everybody's going to like what you have to say. And every day, Every day I have somebody saying something about something that I'm doing on my Instagram, whether it's, you know, if I'm, you know, having a drink and cheersing on a Friday, they're like, you know, what, that's my daughter watches you and that's, you know, it, that's not okay. And it's like, okay, but Instagram isn't a parenting tool. So I don't know, you might want to not have your your daughter who's maybe 14 years old have Instagram. Like, I don't know. Like it's not, you know, but at the same time, like that's, that's part of life. Like people, people have drinks. I'm a trainer who doesn't drink her face off, but I do have drinks because it's, you know, social drinks. That's, that's what adults do. 
you were in um, Mexico. Mexico and you'd yeah. post, you showed a week of you just having fun and like living life. I, I remember that. You lost followers because people what? were pissed off about that. This, I want to pre- preface this too because like I followed it because like I, I just like I had followed you and then it was on there and you're like, listen, like this is my life. <laughs> This is like real, you were kind of drunk. You're like, this is real. And I was like, it is real. Like that's what you do in Mexico. But like you actually documented it. It was like awesome, by the way. So Yeah, so so I ended up losing probably 800 followers. Yes. And, and, um, and that's okay because, you know, if those people want to live in a world where – they think people don't drink or if it, you know, if they want to, sh- to follow somebody who's fake, then yeah, unfollow me. Like I, I recommended it. I was like, if you don't like my shit, unfollow because I really don't care. Like I, I really don't care. Um, because I don't, you know, like I, I've just my entire career, I've just always been me. And, um, so when I was in Mexico, you know, I, 95% of the time, my nutrition is like mint, you know, and I'm, I'm training, I'm putting my hours in the gym and I'm doing all those things. I'm taking all those boxes. I'm doing my recovery. So when you're training um, consistently and your diet is consistent, then, and, and I wanted to see what the effects, cause it was more of a study that I did. Um, and, and also I think, yeah, I, I did say that it was, it was more of a study and, and I wanted to really experience what clients experience when they train, you know, how many clients you get when they're like, it's summer, I'm going away, you know, I want to be ripped for, for my, my beach pictures, or they're like, I have a wedding coming up and et cetera, et cetera. I want to get ready for this. And so there, I've had a lot of clients who have come see me and get the results and then they go away on vacation and they just drink their face off and they do it because they're like, I worked really hard. I deserve this. And so there's no moderation to it. And then they come back and they're heavier. Right. And, and I'm like, why did you like, I'm talking to them about it. Like, why'd you do it? Like, this is the effects. But then they're like, you don't know what it's like. You don't know. And I said, really? Okay. So you're right. I've never actually done that. So I'm going to go do that. So what I did was I dieted for my vacation like, like stage diet, you know, and I got real, I think I was at like 13% body fat. Like I was ripped and I loved the way I looked, but I felt like shit. Like I was like dead. I had no energy. I was miserable. I, I, and I couldn't sustain it. And I knew this, but this is what people do. They do crash diets to get what they want to look like. And then they go on vacation and then they drink and they have abundance of carbohydrates and they you know they just consuming maybe 8,000 calories a day because of those pina coladas and so I was like I'm going to Mexico for one week and usually it's like six days because like you get there and it's like nighttime right Hmm. um so I when we got there I was I didn't I didn't track anything that I ate I was like whatever I wanted I ate you know and I had pina coladas I had you know, rum and Coke and I just, the calories. And so then as the days went on, I started to lose my six pack and I was like, holy shit. Okay. I knew this was going to happen, but water retention too. You're going to get that. You're in a hot climate. You know, there's a lot of sodium in the food. So I was like, I know that this isn't all like legit fat. 
However, I know that I'm like, because I'm, I've probably 12,000 calories. Like I was just like, there's like 600 and some calories in a pina colada <laughs> and like 40 grams of sugar. Do you know what I mean? And I was having like 10 a day, like I was downing them. So it's like, you know, and then I'm, I'm showing people online, like, you know, at the same time, I'm an athlete, I'm a professional athlete and I'm a trainer, but I can also enjoy myself. And so um, there was, you know, there was that aspect and not everybody liked that because they see me as this role model as somebody who like doesn't swear and doesn't drink and doesn't eat shit. And it's just like, that's not real. Like yeah. that is not, you see those trainers on Instagram and they're only putting out good content. I'm sure, you know, like 90% of the time they're like that, but there's a percentage that they're actually human. Like, you know, um, so people, yeah, they had something to say about it and I lost a lot of followers, but when I got back, um, I took photos and, um, this, you know, my own personal experience was that it doesn't matter like what kind of genetics you have. Like if you're going to go from like minimal calories to like an abundance, there's going to be a change in your body. And what that change looks like really just depends on the person in itself. But, you know, I, I gained like a shit ton of weight. And then on top of that, I was like, okay, maybe it'll level out. Maybe I'll like lose a five pounds and get rid of the water. But it was just like, holy shit. Like I went from 153 to like 160, 65. And then I stayed at 170 and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so, um, you know, I'll never do that again. But now when a client comes to me and they're like, I want to get, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to get lean for my trip. I'm like, look at this photo. Like, this is not what I believe in as a trainer. Like it's not sustainable. You'll look good for one week and then you're going to pay the price for, for maybe a month, two months, depending on, you know, like how hard you're going to work to, to get that off. So yeah, it was really interesting. I think it gives you some credibility. Jordan Syatt does this stuff really, really well. I don't know, Jen, if you follow him. He was actually supposed to be one of our guests this year, but obviously can't do that now. Uh, but Jordan will do various things like big back challenges and he shows a lot of very human behavior. Sometimes he'll take it a little far just to prove a point. And, and he's actually one of the most enduring, endearing social media people you'll ever see. Now, another aspect of social media, and, and Jordan and I had a private conversation about this and I, we shared a, a status that he'd made. And he's gotten a lot of blowback on his social media. And, and he's one of the kindest, nicest, most awesome people. But right now in our industry, and I think it's probably true of any industry that exists on social media, people are on, on edge. We have, you know, months of lockdown. So you already have people with a lot of time on their hands, a lot of anxiety, a lot of financial stress, a lot of emotional health issues. We have, uh, you know, the George Floyd uh, death and the protests of Black Lives Matter and everything about that. So that was it. U.S. was already a tinderbox ready to go off, and then this happened. So now a lot of people are, are mudslinging. Um, there are some people who are very vocal. You get people who are basically announcing if you're if you're not speaking out loudly, you're part of the problem. There's a lot of shame. A lot of people have a lot of different views there. And so I've seen a number of very good people with great values who I know what they would do when there's no camera on them in confronting racism. I've had situations, I said on my social media, I've had people drop 
explicit racial slurs in private settings where I've been, and I was the person who spoke up and became very hostile about it. Um, I have one of my ex-girlfriends, actually, I have, I have a few ex-girlfriends who are African-American, uh, and one in particular, we were together for a long time, so when I hear stuff like that, I immediately think, of, well, had she been here with me? So I actually physically confronted it, uh, nearly got into physical, no physical fighting, but, you know, certainly nearly, and but that wasn't comfortable it wasn't convenient and it actually ruffled the feathers of the peace of these social environments and meanwhile i actually was publicly very publicly attacked for not doing my social media just right and i got private shit for uh you know both sides i put up a black square and i just kind of got quiet after a little while because i want to create some space for the people that we should, probably should be listening to about this and a lot of people realize you couldn't do it right there's going to be criticism from all sides. One of my friends who I love and trust, he said he was a little disappointed and there's a good person. People will be like, what the fuck was a little disappointed that I had put up a black square. Okay. So you can't win. And it's really not about that because there's bigger issues. But as you've said yourself, you've had hate followers. And that was actually one thing she did say, like there's like the hate followers. In this and real. Right now, I guess my message, I want to then extend it to your thoughts. My message to social media people is like, first of all, you know, the people who are yapping at you and criticizing you, first of all, they're not, not paying your bills. I mean, take good care of your clients. Uh, I think be a good person with good values and act when it's uncomfortable every day when the social media spotlight is not on you. Because one thing is for fucking well sure, a lot of individuals on Instagram and a lot of companies knew how to craft and curate the right message right now who don't, and they get praise for it and they're seeking praise whose attitudes and behaviors and values do not reflect that all the time and wouldn't have done it properly. So I think guys right now, fuck right off judging people for what they did or didn't do on their social media in the last couple of weeks. Okay. Except for, except for Greg Glassman. He told Glassman's a different story. Glassman showed his, you know, <laughs> I, I always do this whole thing where I like, you know, Hey, CrossFit brings puts barbells in hands. And I actually oh, think no. as a movement, CrossFit did a lot of good, but Glassman showed his ass and he showed himself to be a piece of shit. Fine. I'll, I'll call him straight out. I don't like cancel culture. I think cancel culture is garbage. But if you're going to be a dumbass like that, don't be surprised that Rogue Fitness and Reebok and a lot of your box gyms just cut ties with you. Anyway, so I wanted to hear your thoughts on all of it. Yeah. So I was one of the people who did not post a black box. And you're right. Like there's, you, you post one, you're gonna, so you're gonna get DMs and you don't post one and you're gonna get DMs. And um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's not about the black box. It's about showing solidarity and you can do that any way that you feel it that works for you. And, and you can go to a protest, you can support black local shops, you can, you know, do stuff like that. And, and I didn't post the black box merely because I've been practicing human rights and equality since the day I was fucking born. So I, I, I felt like I didn't need to post a black box to prove that, that my support, because I was supporting, um, supporting that cause from day one. Like my, you know, my partner's in, is indigenous, you know, she gets racism as well. And um, I just don't stand for it. And I think anybody who got upset with the black box, and I don't even know how it started. Um, and, but nonetheless, if you posted a black box, you're trying to show your support. And if you didn't po post your black box, you're probably showing your support in other ways. But it's just, you know, people are like, it's, it's, it was just such a, 
when you get into topics like that, it's very controversial. And, and it's, uh, and, and that's, that's just what happens. And I, and I think um, people need to just see the good behind the action, you know, pay attention to that. You know, you posted your black box, that's you showing your solidarity and that's okay. Like people should not be, you know, hit, you know, saying bad shit to you because of that. Or some people were hashtagging. Um, I know I've heard, like I've read a lot of hate online when people were hashtagging uh, Black Lives Matter when they should have been hashtagging um, Blackout Tuesday. Oh, they shouldn't have been doing Blackout Tuesday. But, it or, but yeah, like- Yeah, whatever it was. Already. Because the Black Lives Matter hashtag is used to find information, so all people were met with was this wall of black squares, which actually made it harder to get the information. And I, it makes sense, but the fact that people are screaming at each other, freaking out about each other, God, think about the underlying issue here. There's an underlying problem, right? Like, you know, whether you take more of a stance on, on police brutality or the systemic racism side or the combination of the two, we've got some shitty stuff happening. And then yet people are generally on the same side for the most part who are arguing over these kind of things and at a certain point i think a lot of the stuff this anger and this this nastiness is very misplaced and if you are attacking people who are actually trying to do something good who have good values fuck if you're following someone i'd like to think you know their values if i look at most of our podcast guests you know, most of our podcast guests ideologically skew a little left of center or more left. You get people like Greg Knuckles, Dean Somerset, Mark Fisher, and this list goes fucking on and on and on. And we put these people on the show because we actually know that they're really great people. We've actually had some guests who ideologically are a bit more on the right. They are. And I actually think that most of them are probably pretty awesome human beings. It's just they're not, you know, that's where they are ideologically. We would never put a fucking white supremacist on our podcast, right? But I think if you're following people, you generally know what they represent and how they treat other people. So it seems really silly to me to turn around, like someone criticizing you. I mean, Jesus Christ, you're a vocal advocate for women's rights and, and LGBTQ plus rights. Like what on fucking earth can they find about you that would be- well, they'll, so say, they'll, they'll get mad at you for not saying 2S. So it's just like, there's no, but for real, like, that's kind of where it's just like, fuck, like, obviously I'm pointing at his square, which no one can see, but it's like, you didn't feel <laughs> like that. I don't know. But you know, you know what, it's, um, that's a, it, you know, it's a good point because after Rio, um, I was one of the few gay athletes that were out, Yeah. you know, and there's a lot of athletes in the closet and they're in the closet because unfortunately some sponsors, it doesn't sit well with them. And, you know, um, and so you know, I've heard horror stories of people coming out and losing their sponsors because of that. Mm. And then you got to prove it. And it's just a bunch of shit. So I was, um, you know, one of the, the athletes that were out and because we won bronze and there was all this hype, you know, the, the LGBTQ2S community were very excited and I was a spokesperson for them. And I remember, you know, I remember putting this tweet out and I said, you know, I, and maybe I live in like just a, maybe I want to live in just like an equal world or something. But, and, but I was just like, you know what? I really just want to be seen as Jen Kish, the athlete. Mm -hmm. I don't want a box. I don't want a label. I don't want, I just want to be seen as me. Like, I don't want to be rugby Canada athlete, Jen Kish. Like, I don't want my name to follow after something. And so I put a tweet out there and 
it was not well received because the the community they were offended mm -hmm. you know and i got all these messages saying you know you have a platform and you could be our voice and you should be proud and you should be this and it's just like i totally understand that and i do support and i am you know like i'm a lesbian like i get it but do you know what it's like to have a like a label in front of your name before before you know like i was just like i'm a I just want to be seen as a human being. I want to be an athlete as a, as a female who was trying to make it in the sporting world. And I played with men in football. Um, they, you know, I didn't want to be seen as my gender before my, who I was as a player. I wanted to be seen as an athlete. And that's something that I wanted to maintain throughout my entire career. So when it came to LGBTQ, you know, your, your representation and, you know, and then my name follows after that. It's like, I, I get it. But like my values, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to say values, but my, my mindset from since I was a child is see me as an athlete first, see me as Jen Kish, the athlete, and then you can tag on whatever you want. Like, when, and that's your right to do it. <laughs> you played, you played high school football against buddies of mine before I even knew yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. When they're telling hey, you to play. Would you, did you play, like, would you, you play running back, linebacker? Did no, you? I was a, I was a safety. And so, yeah. um, I played for a WP Wagner and uh, I coached there. Do you know that? <laughs> I, I was the head coach. Uh, nice. So yeah, I, I did, I did that. And, um, you know, there was, because I was a female, I, I got, you know, it was, it was hard. I had to earn, it was, it was tough because I had to earn the respect of my peers. Whereas the, the guys, they already had the respect. You know, so I was already fighting more battles than they were. And then I had to constantly prove that I was worthy to be on that team. Now, you know, I'm not, a lot of the guys on there were great. They saw me as, as one of their own. Um, but it was like more so the guys from oppositions, like yeah. the, op the opposite teams that were like, you're a female playing, like, I'm going to hit you so hard. I'm trying to get you out of this game. Little did they know, I was like one of the hardest hitters in, in high school. I've heard well, part of that too is, you know, and, and you understand football mentality. Like, if you tackle and, like, a guy seeing stars after you hit him, like, how emasculating is that going to be? And and it shouldn't be that way, but guess what? They're going to feel that way, right? Well, but even, like, so, like, a story, actually, because I was coaching at WP Wagner, and, like, I had an experience where, like, I was the head coach, and I, I was also subbing there, and I had two girls come and ask if they could be part of the football team. I was like, yeah. And they were like in tears because the, uh, like, they didn't understand. They're like, well, why would you? I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's fine. But I don't think that's the, the response they were. And they just want to be the one girl want to be a kicker. And the other one wanted to be a linebacker. But I was like, yeah, like you're allowed to play football. And it was like, so anyways, it's like good to see that you were good too. And you crushed some dudes. Cause that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, you know, I didn't want to be the, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want my gender to just come before yeah. me as an athlete. And, and I get, you know, I, I get why people in the community were upset with me because, you know, at the end of the day, I am a voice for them and I can advocate for them, but, and I do, and that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I, I am proud to be a member of that community. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, if I wasn't, maybe I'd still be in the closet if I was like scared of the backlash, but, but I, you know, and unfortunately I, I also don't experience half the hate that some of those individuals experience on the daily and mm -hmm. I'm not exposed to that, but I do understand that it does exist. I do know people who fear for their lives every day, walking down the, the street, holding their partner's hands or, you know, so on and so on. So I'm a huge advocate for the community. It's just, 
um, as an athlete, it was really important for me to establish myself as that before anything. Um, can you talk, so like this goes into like your new branding. Cause I saw some of your stuff, like how did you tie that into it? Cause I know you kind of did with like the shirts and stuff and the rainbows, but like what, what's kind of the reasoning behind doing all that? Cause there's been a redo and second story, Curtis was my, um, athletic director at WP Wagner. So, oh, our, really? yeah, so he was at Wagner and he basically helped me start the team up again. So it's kind of funny oh, that there's that connection. Awesome. Was there anything in that with that change? I know you did change your branding a little bit. It was like sick. Yeah. So how that came about. So, um, you know, like I got into personal training just purely to help people, you know, get their lives back. I I've dealt with high risk people to, you know, from the liver transplant client to the client with no medical issues. And so that, that what, that's what really drives me. But then, you know, my partner said, you know, you're a brand, so you're going to need to build that. Whether you like it or not, you're a brand. People follow you, you know, they, and people are asking for merchandise. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't really care to make money off that because I'm not, I, I care about personal training and I undercharge for my services. Like, and my hourly rate is way lower than, you know, some of the other trainers out there that I feel that I am on the same level as, but, um, but anyways, I, I just, I decided to, um, uh, who was it? Art, Art Slinger, um, designed my, my logo, which is an Edmonton, uh, local company. And, um, and then they hooked me up with a, with a distributor and, I wanted to get some apparel out there, stuff that I, that I use, some stuff that I train in. Um, and then because it's pride month, I said, you know what, I'm going to do a trial run. I'm going to come up with, with a pride edition, like special edition clothing line with just hoodies and t-shirts. And then I'm going to donate part of the proceeds to the, the, um, uh, the, uh, the Chew project. And what the CHU project is, is a organization that supports the youth within the LGBTQ2 plus community. Um, you know, when they come out to their parents and they get kicked out or um, they're getting abused or whatever it is. They, and, and the reason why I chose that uh, organization is because our premier um, cut funding to them. And I find it, you know, like I, I, I really do care about our youth because they are our future. And so if we don't take care of our youth, then we don't have a future. And um, so that's how that kind of came about. And, um, I, you know, and then more, more stuff's going to come out where it's the, you know, just the actual logo with, you know, like a sweatsuit and, and stuff like that. But um, in terms like, I don't expect it to be big. I don't expect to make millions off of it. I, it's I'm merely just producing the product because, it was asked for. Well, and you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Like I hate using that too, but like you can be Jen Kish the thing and it can still do this, but you don't ha it doesn't have to be a thing. Like, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know it's like a bad way of explaining it, but it kind of fits the mold of how you want to do shit. Yeah, no, and I, I yeah, and I totally understand. And you know, um, by having my apparel, like it's a way to keep my clients connected 
yeah. um, where they're like, yeah, that's Jen Kish. I, you know, that's my trainer. They, they feel like a team. It's really important that my clients feel like they're part of a team, even though they train as individuals with me mm -hmm. um, because they need support. And sometimes I have clients who come train with me and they don't have the support system that they need because you know, maybe their husband or their wife has bad eating habits and they're really skinny. So it doesn't really have this profound effect on them. Um, so it, you know, sometimes I get my clients to, I, I encourage them, um, to go suss out other activities within the community, whether it's cycling or, um, it could be like going swimming, like where they can do stuff together so they can keep each other accountable when they're actually not training with me. Um, because I think that's, you know, that's what's, what's going to help your client be successful is if they have a support system and, and me alone is not enough for them because there's 24 hours in a day. I only see them for what, for one hour. So, you know, how am I supposed to, it's on them to make sure that they're following the nutrition that I've given them, um, to get in the sessions that I'm asking them to get into. I, I actually have, um, I've had the same clients. This is a thing. I don't know if it's a thing with you guys. It's probably a thing with you guys for, for sure. Andrew, I know for sure, because you've had the same client for now almost five, six years or something like that. I've one and she was actually here today. She is my house cleaner. So she came and like cleaned my house for me. Right. So she's like a mom to me. Yeah. So that's, and she, and, and she looks phenomenal. And I remember when she first came and saw you, like she had a lot of work ahead of her and, um, and what I find as a trainer is that um, I, my client retention is, is really, really good, um, which also can hurt my business at the same time because people get attracted to results. And when you start getting out of the fat, like the, the weight loss, and you start getting into actual muscle gain where you're specifically targeting muscle, that's going to take a lot longer to see, right? And so you know, I'd say like three months, really, I, from my experience anyways, when I had somebody who was um, ectomorph body type, is it ectomorph? It's a, I think it's ectomorph. Well, they're ec kind of yeah, yeah, okay. Like so I have, to, I have to brush up on my terminology. It's been so long since I've trained. Um, <laughs> but, you know, was really hard to gain weight. And it took literally three months before we actually saw, yeah, there's ecto, endo, and meta. I might, I might have got it wrong. <laughs> side note real quick is people argue about this stuff, but they actually work. So people say, oh, they're not a thing. And actually, I do say that, but I'll add some context. They're good to describe yeah. an individual. But when someone starts using them as like very technical classifications, it doesn't work because they actually don't hold up very well. These, they originated as psychological categories for personality that coincided with body types. One of my clients, he lost 100 pounds before he ever came to me. He was 400 pounds. He was erroring out a 400-pound max scale. <clears throat> He's six foot five. He lost 100 pounds, came to strength train with me, lost another 85. You take the before photo, he's an endomorph. You take the after photo, he's an ectomorph. He's rebuilt muscle up into about the 250 range. Now he looks very mesomorphic. So oftentimes, think about it as a category that you can fit someone into, but not as a a defining starting point that someone cannot escape. Does that make sense? Because it becomes kind it, of it, it is true, except there is there is uh, fat cells. You know, we are oh. born with a certain amount of fat cells, and I think that's where the category, like the category, comes from. Is that someone can look at cake and they blow up, someone <laughs> can eat the cake and not. You know what I mean? And and that is like that. That is just what it is. Okay. Um, and some, 
some people gain weight faster than others. And I, and so when I speak to clients, I try to dumb that shit down because they don't, the only information that clients know is the shit they see online or on the television or, you know, they're not, they're not actually getting science-based knowledge when they come and see you. So you're, so I use those terms as a way to absolutely just describe like, you know, like you're really, really skinny. Like maybe you're 110 pounds if you're a female or you're like 220 or you're just somebody in between. Right. Um, but I do agree with you, Andrew. Like it is, I, I do agree. Like you can be 400 pounds. I, I was being obnoxiously technical there when in fact, and what you were saying and genetics, like, there's a massive genetic component to how someone's well it's but it's language too it's like if you talk about like all like the ribs down fucking get your serratus and all this shit just say it's your core and they're like oh, okay like i got it it's like yeah. there's no point of describing shit to them because they won't want to hear it anyways it's like the word tone because people tone, are, the same shit i actually vehemently argue that guys tone makes sense to your clients it yeah. is the they use it's something they understand really well. So it's language I will use. And honestly, effective marketers use that language in their marketing. If you get a trainer who's like, tone is not a thing, science, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. Okay, I understand where your problem is. You're, you're not busy enough and you're arguing about this crap. And you're not busy enough because your marketing sucks because you're arguing about shit like tone. So, you know, I had told you. Well, I want to see the avatar of that person because I wouldn't like them for sure. For sure, and I hope I hope I hope I'm popular enough where people unfollow me for saying that, Jen. <laughs> Fuck you, tone person. Or not. Oh shit! I actually had um uh I have an uh, online client who said I said what are your goals right I have like this questionnaire and uh, you know and some trainers are not about this but why why are you coming to me It's really important that I understand why you're doing it because that's going to tell me if you're going to achieve or fail. And I feel like I've been in the industry long enough to, and have had many different clients, you know, with different attitudes, different mindsets, different body types, um, different values, just everything. And, and it always comes down in my personal experience. Why? And that's how I like weed out my people who inquire online. And so someone uh uh inquired and they go i said so what are your goals and it's like i want to i want to tone and i want to you know i, I want to be skinny and i'm like okay like and then i get them to send me a photo i want to know what i'm working with here <laughs> well this she sends me a photo and she's she's lean this girl's lean and i said yeah you don't have any weight to lose you got to if you want muscle, we got to, you got to eat more. We got to put some, some weight on you. And, and then you're going to see your muscle. You're going to see more muscle. We, if you get any skinnier, we're just going to see your bones. So, um, but I said, why do you want to do it? She's just like, you know, she's just like, well, I want to look good for my boyfriend. And I was like, like, why? No, look good for you, girl. Come on. So I was like, you know, I, I had a conversation with her and I was like, you know, and some trainers are like, it doesn't matter what their why is because it's income, it's a client and you are providing a service and just give it to them. But I guess I have a bit of a luxury to, you know, say who I can take and who I don't want to take. Um, but I find that if their why isn't a personal, like within, 
it's going to only last maybe a month or three months, maybe six. Um, it's the people who are like, I want to fit a towel around my body again. I want to go into a store and not have to shop plus size, or I don't want to have to wear kids clothing. I want to be bigger. Like, or, you know, like there's like everyday life things that affect them psychologically where, where you know that they really want that change. And it's a lifetime change. It isn't a three month, six month, one year. And, and that goes back to my thing is like, that's why the client retention, they understand when most of the clients who come see me, they go three months. Cause I, I have a three month commitment. Right. Um, and it used to be a month, but then I don't waste my time with that shit anymore. So three month commitment. And after three months, they start, you're seeing results and they're like, okay, I, I want to go some more six months, one year, two year, three year. You're like, okay. Cause they, 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 they finally start to understand that it's, it's a lifestyle. It isn't just a, a program you're on for a short duration. And then you move on with your life and you go back into your shitty fucking habits. Do you know what I mean? Like we had, was it Savon that came on who she does the three month packages as well. And she just like saw a huge, I think it was like actually six months, wasn't it? But it was the same, same reason. It's like, like how many people, how much work are you get done in like two sessions and two weeks? And they're like, Oh, it didn't work. Like it just doesn't work like that. I think so. Actually I've written on this. I have something unpublished and uh-oh. It's not, no, it's, it's, it's a sort of a counterpoint, but it's actually to say you could actually approach some of these philosophically very different. Yeah, and it depends on where you are. I don't have minimum time frames that I work with people. In fact, you know, it's common when Jen and I used to work for the old company that we generally don't say their name anymore because, well, never. No, don't say it. Don't even talk about it, Andrew, because uh, you know where this is going to go. Uh, you know, you'd sell packages of 12, 24, you get a price break at 24, 36, 72, whatever. Uh, I, my clients buy and renew uh, session blocks of five. And that sounds crazy. And what I say to clients, and they love this, is I don't expect a long commitment. It's my job to do such a really, really good job that they want to continue. And I am building into the process every step of the way, the fact that I have to work very, very hard to do an amazing job to continue to earn the business. That's just something I like. Yeah, but to you do. know, you, you'll agree, like, you know that they need to stay longer. So like, and, it's just a different way approach. Now, guess what? I've been doing this a decade. Fuck it. I'm very good at what I do. But at the same time, I also get some people who want to come and learn for a short amount of time. And I'm grateful to put them into my, my schedule. You know, it's, I think it's really important that you set guidelines that work for you jen you are you're going to work with people that are a right fit for you and i think a lot of trainers really should do that kind of stuff i'm a bit of a workhorse i have a very broad schedule more than most i do more sessions than most trainers and because of that then i'm able to fit more of those people in and i take it as a personal challenge to do a really good job to try to keep them if i've got someone who is coming in and maybe not saying you know, they're saying some troubling things, some things that I'm a little nervous about in terms of their mindset. Well, I also do look at it this way too. And, and, and it, it sounds a little different from what you're doing, but my personal approach is, well, I probably have the skills to build trust with this person to be able to shift them into a healthier place emotionally. Now, some of the stuff is outside of our scope. Some of the stuff is psychiatry or registered dietitian territory. If there's disordered eating behavior or serious disordered eating disorders, and, but I still will, depending on the person, often try to foster enough trust to the point where I can actually help 
shift them into approaching it from a healthier place and set healthier goals and, and develop better self-image. But again, some of those people aren't going to be a really great fit for an individual trainer. You also have to, as a trainer, guard your emotional energy. There are clients that I had an old client recently, very, very, very old client recently reach out to me and I politely declined to take them on because I know that the background behind this client is going to be too emotionally taxing and that will spill over into my other clients. And my days start at nine or 10 a.m. and often finish at eight or 9 p.m. for training. It's not always straight through. There's gaps for writing or reading or whatever. But guarding your emotional energy is important. And I say to my clients, the first client of my day and the last client of my day in particular are very critical because it's the person I'm starting up my day with and it's the person I am anticipating at the end of the day. And if they've got good energy and they're fun to be around, it can really help me get through the rest of the day. Yeah, if I just put your other clients on ice, they're going to be like, well, which one am I? Well, <laughs> you're three. Well, you know, it, you know that, you know, that I'm joking. Of, I would, I would totally, if I was your client, I would totally figure it all out. had every trainer listening. And Jen, you've had this too. I know it. Um, you've had that one client who is an emotional vampire, who is very, very taxing and you're, you, you like them, and I, I, I don't want to speak ill of clients, but we know that they're rare. I rarely have gotten them over the years, but we've had a few, and they really take a lot out of you, and that can sap your energy or your, your worry. Oh, you've got three clients in between, but then you've got this person, and that, that's on your mind, and you're just like, oh, i got to do this, and it can drag down the energy you have for the other people who are already great. So I think the bottom line that we really agree on is you have to be very, very careful about finding people that are a good fit for you. Not every trainer has my bandwidth to be able to patiently try to build that trust and navigate someone who's probably in a dodgy mental place with dodgy goals and to shift them over into something that's a lot healthier. But I look that's at the it, benefit you know, of the intake. Like I would be very nervous about allowing that person to walk into other facilities and get sold on impulse by a salesperson and assigned to an inexperienced trainer or someone who doesn't have integrity. So I also look at that too. And it's also a reason why I think that trainers, you guys got to get good at sales and you've got to get good at asking for business and confident in your own abilities. Because if you're not, you walk and that person walks into LA fitness and gets hustled and they get in front of someone who really is not well suited for them there. That can cause a lot of problems. But, you got, yeah. go no, you go ahead. I was just basically saying your intake form is a vampire filter. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, you made some really good points, Andrew. Like the, the fact that as a trainer, you do what's best for you. And if, if you're a trainer that is okay with seeing one client for one session and wanting to make that impact and you're okay with that and that works for you, then do it. It's not wrong. Like it's, it works for you. And that's, what's important for me. I'm doing what works for me. And, and every trainer is different. Every trainer has a different training philosophy. I mean, we follow, we follow a guideline within a guideline, but we also breach, you know, we, we, we don't stay within a box because training continually, like continuously grows. And we, we find new ways to, you know, um, to train our clients, to keep it engaging, exciting, um, to get results and no, no client is the same. So I definitely agree with you on that. And I don't, you know, I, um, I'm just, you know, for me, I'm just a trainer that, that needs that three month commitment because I, I, I find it as an athlete. It's like, if you're going to commit and that's my athlete mind is if you're going to commit, you're committing and, and you're stuck. 
So you can't quit on me, but I got to make sure that before I take you on that you have that mentality. Um, so I don't necessarily get to like, I've gotten rid of clients because they're like, it's hard. And they'll, if they cancel twice, they're out. And then next client, because I, I just don't, to me, I'm just, I, I have, I treat them like athletes mm -hmm. and I know they're not all athletes, but they're like, this is too hard. I'm like, you are capable of so much more. So here we go. We're going to go. And this is the level I train at. And this is my expectation. And if you don't meet it, goodbye. And, and I don't have, I, I really don't have tolerance for people who, um, well, you don't want to care about it more than they do. Like and that's, yes. And that's what it comes down to. And so when I feel like, uh, cause I, I give 110%. So if I feel, and I don't, I just don't have the patience. Um, Andrew, you seem like you're a bit more patient and you, and you like that challenge. You like that. Like, I'm going to win you over and you're going to, you're, you know, and, and people love training with you. And I think that's great. This, the, the second point that you made, um, Oh, what, what was it? It was the, uh, while you think of that, I'm going to say something here and this will make a lot of sense. I think that when people work with you, they stay with you because of your relationship and who you are more than they do because of an arbitrary three month limit. I think that's something you've chosen, but I suspect that the people that get in front of you, they stick around and they stick around a lot longer than the three months. And I think this is what we very firmly agree on. I think we're saying the same thing. And for anyone listening, uh, I don't think it matters the timeline that you say someone must work with you. What matters is the quality of the effort you put in and the relationship, your skills. And ultimately, people are going to stay with you much, much longer than you know five sessions or three months if you are doing all of the things that fulfill the needs of that client. Well, and understand what you're doing. Like, don't just do three months because Jen Kish does it for three months. Like, <laughs> like what the fuck is the real? Like, some people are better off not doing that because they're, they're shitty and three months might make them look worse. So it's like, it's just like know where you're at and know the method. And that goes with training as well. Like, use your brain because things don't work just because they work. It's like that whole, we've had Jordan side on, but post every fucking day on Instagram. Like, um, I can tell you that that does not work the same anymore. Anything that I interrupted. Oh. Uh, well, yeah, so that, that you, when you were talking, you reminded me of the second point, trust. Trust is an absolute staple um, in the training industry with your client. If your client, and let me tell you, every client that comes and sees you, they are fucking skeptical to shit because they've probably tried every diet pill on the planet to lose weight or every mass game thing to gain weight. And it's just not happening because they don't understand periodization. Okay. They don't, they don't get it. And, and for an example, I have a client who is 54 years old. Um, she didn't work out for 20 some years. Um, I put her on a walking program. She's weight loss. Okay. I put her on a walking program and she looks at this program and she goes, that's it. <laughs> and I go, yeah, just follow it. Okay. Because you're 54. You've, you, um, you haven't, you haven't done anything for 20 some years. And, and the walking program wasn't just like, Oh, go for 30 minutes. Like it was like, you know, it was like intervals and it, it was the load, right? It was the load on the joints. Every time you walk, you're, you're, it's, it's compact, right? When you're walking, you're not on a bike. So I also had her on a bike too. Anyway. So she looked at this and she goes, and this was, so sometimes I put clients, I take clients online before I can actually take them in person just to get them started, depending on, 
their their medical history like if you have no injuries like catastrophic injuries etc cetera, etc cetera, i'll chances are i'll put you on a program i don't it's i kind of try to stay away from the online training though because you know you, you can't do an assessment they think they're working hard you have no fucking idea if they are and if they're doing it right and so there's just a lot of um risk there however i i, I do do it um but anyway so uh she went on, she did all the program and she, I think she lost like 10 pounds and she was also on nutrition program. Then I get her in for training. And so I've now introduced, um, you know, circuit training with like weights and stuff. Um, and she's thinking that she just needs to be on a treadmill for like 40 minutes. Like she has this misconception that cardio is going to get her, her skinny. And I'm like, no, you're going to lift weights. And she's like, oh my gosh. So I have her whole four weeks planned out. I actually planned programs out like three to six months because it's the loading, right? It's, it's the deloading that all matters. And so she didn't tell me that she was also doing, um, agility training with her dog. Mm -hmm. So that's extra volume, mm -hmm. but she, she thought, well, it's just running and it's pivoting and it's, you know, she's pivoting and she's sprinting and she's, so she's actually working her, um, her, you know, the, the PC, the phosphate creatine, like the system. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, so she, she ends up getting, um, uh, a, a minor injury, um, within her hip. And mm -hmm. she goes, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know what's going on. And I was like, this doesn't seem right because I, I did the volume. I did the calculations. Like, you know, there's, I don't understand. And then I, it turns out that she was doing extra stuff like daily activity that I was unaware of. And I think clients don't understand that. They don't understand how to build a program um, and, and why it's important to follow within the guidelines of a program. So they're like, okay, weight loss pill, 40 minutes on a treadmill. Why am I not losing weight? <laughs> it's like- Well, you probably learned from that too. You probably were like, well, damn, I gotta ask about this other stuff. Cause like, it does matter. And like- oh yeah. So, and that was me as like that, that was my, I felt so bad because when my clients get, you know, I've had a, a couple clients who have had injuries and it's going to happen because sometimes they don't do their recovery. I can't monitor that. So if they're, you know, if I'm tearing the shit out of their muscle fibers and they're not going to go stretch and then they're going to go do a sprint session, whatever, like an athlete of mine, you know, it's just like, okay, well, fuck. Right. But I think I've, had to get better as a trainer to ask more questions of like, tell me everything. <laughs> like yeah. what are you doing on the daily? Um, because I just assumed like mm -hmm. they, and they don't think it's, it's fitness, right? Like th when they're doing the agility, she didn't think it was fitness. She thought it was an everyday activity that, that didn't, um, cause her issues. And, and because she was on my program with the amount of volume, it did cause issues. So yeah, if you're a trainer out there, you know, I would highly recommend that you ask as many questions as possible to build that profile with your client. And then also they, they trust you when you say something like when I, I would say to clients, listen, if you don't follow this program and you do extra, because a lot of people like I, they look at it and they're like, cause the adaptation phase, right? They're like, uh, this isn't enough. And it's like, I want to train six days a week, you know? four weeks, let's go. And you're like, you're going to burn out. You're probably going to get an injury. This is not going to happen. Like the majority of people just don't, it's just not a thing. And so, you know, you have to, once they start getting results or something happens that you say, then they start to trust you and they're like, okay, you're, you know, 
when you predict the future. Intuitive, but I think it's worth saying too, and I know <clears throat> Tony Gentle course put up some recent stuff about it, and I know other trainers saying it. We like so like just before this, uh, government of Alberta announced that gyms are reopening as of Friday. So awesome. we're going to be going back to gyms right away. And a lot of the places the gyms have started to, and other places they haven't yet. So you're going to have a lot of people who haven't done anything for three months who are going to be going back. So you got to ease them back in. Trainers, you, and they're going to be, these people are going to be eager to jump back in again. You got to ease them back in a little bit. We're going to see a spike in injuries as people rush back too fast, try to do their the same weights and, and rep totals that they were used to doing. So just be mindful of that. I think that's just good common sense. Well, but it's not common sense. Like low, like even with sporting injuries, like the some of the biggest ones are load spikes, <laughs> load spikes and speed spikes, which is just like people don't actually understand that. Which so I think that that's a good thing to say, even for someone who's listening that's not a trainer. Like one of the you know, like if you go, you're gonna snap shit up. Like there's a high percentage if you think you're gonna go back and do the same shit you're doing. I think one of the highest rates of injury is like middle-aged men going out and playing like weekend sports. Absolutely, for so, sure. <laughs> So I'm worried about like the sports coming up. Like I, I obviously like you, you think that the pro teams are going to have it under, under control, but like I'm worried about these playoffs because you got to get, you're going to get teams that haven't done shit go straight into playoff hockey. I know they have their mini camps, but like, fuck, this is going to be a good experiment in athletics and t- like time to, I guess, whatever game ready. It'll be interesting. It, it is such a double-edged sword because um, some athletes, you know, as an athlete, you get pushed to the max mm-hmm. and obviously you're on a program and, and, you know, they, they're training you to peak for a pinnacle event. So like the NHL, the Stanley cup, right. Or when playoffs come yeah. um, or, you know, so some games matter more than other games, but because like, like take McDavid, for instance, that guy gets like, how much 28 minutes yeah. of ice time like like it's a crazy amount and he's young um and he gets pushed really really hard um but two things will happen if he keeps getting pushed hard like that chances are he's not going to have a really long career because his body's going to break down unless he takes really really good care of it and i i mean it's mcdavid and he seems like the type of guy that that would um but it's a body at the end of the day there's where there's wear and tear Right. And so players like McDavid may benefit from the rest. And so when they do go back, you know, they're obviously going to slowly implement things um, and not go zero to 100. So that may benefit him. But then there's other players who it will hurt severely. Like, really cool to see. Like, even some of the older players, it might be helpful. Well, 100%. Yeah. But maybe it won't. Like, it'll be in, in certain states. There has been ice. Like in San Jose, there's like this billionaire. He has like, I've, you hear stories around, but there's this billionaire who has like a rink and the San Jose people were going to practice on there. Some of them are still on ice, which will be, I don't know, like it's, it's almost like a disadvantage depending on where you're at. The, the Swedish players were playing. So a yeah. lot of the NHL players were pissed off because the Swedish guys were allowed to play. Yeah, and, like, and that, that makes a big fucking difference, especially when everyone's in playoffs as soon as they get back. Like that 21 team playoffs, like that's, it's going to be nuts. I know this has nothing to do with training, but like, I'm so excited to see what happens. <laughs> I was going to say this too, right? I mean, Jen, you had started to accumulate some pretty serious injuries, you know, a major hip injury and you were in your, what, you were late. That was by your late twenties in your competitive career, right? Yeah. So that stuff adds up. What would you well, do? I broke my, my pelvis 
and tore my labrum. So I, and I played with a torn labrum for an entire season and I was reckless with my body and because I was young and I bounced back from injuries like crazy fast. Um, but as I aged, you know, and every injury you get, you know, you, arthritis and, you know, all that stuff that, that goes in there and or that happens with those injuries. And so as, as I got older and the more bones I broke and my, my spine, you know, degenerative um, disease is what they say. It's just like the, you know, the, you're losing the space between the, the discs. Um, I have so many injuries and the worst and the, the worst injury that I have that you cannot see is my brain. Um, the amount of concussions that I've sustained in sport, and that's just not in rugby. That, that was in football. That was, you know, I got in basketball, all the sports I ever played, right. You, you know, when you, they say, Oh, I just dinged my bell and you brush every time you hit your head, that is considered a concussion. Now there's different. We didn't know that back then though. That's the crazy thing. There was no, like, like the amount of science, like it was just so, there was such a lack of knowledge from, from the players to the staff, to doctors. Um, and so, you know, and it was that tough mentality of like, get out there. We need you get out there. And, um, and because I was young, I was like, okay, whatever it's, I'm bouncing back. But at the age of 32 now, catastrophic, um, symptoms that I have from my, my concussions. Like I'm, I'm right now on a waiting list to be seen. Um, cause I'm donating my brain to science for females. Um, because it's, there's not, a, there's not enough science on, on brain injuries, sporting brain injuries with females. Right. Um, but right now I'm, I'm, tr- I'm on a waiting list to get to see, um, there's a CTE, um, pre-screen almost, isn't it? like a, a special field in, in, in Toronto that they take athletes and they, they do studies on and all this stuff, because I'll tell you the other day, I forgot how to drive home. <laughs> scary. And, yeah, it's so scary. So, and I'm, I'm just waiting to get into the, the Glenn Sather does, um, does they have, they also have a program for concussions, but you have to have sustained a concussion within the year. And, and I haven't, what I struggle with is the post concussion syndromes with the irritability and the, you know, like, um, forgetfulness and the headaches and the vision, you know what I mean? And, and so as, as an athlete, even as somebody who works out, okay. And, and you may, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, because if you're new to training, if you've never lifted a weight when you're 40, guess what? You are a baby. You are a baby when it comes to training, which means that you're actually going to, um, experience bigger results at 40 when lifting weights than somebody who's been lifting weights for 15 years. Right. It's because it doesn't matter your age. Like the, the training has no, you're going to have, it's going to have a profound impact on you. But with that being said, there's, there's wear and tear and, and clients do not take this serious enough. If you do not do your recovery, you will pay for it years to come. Like I promise you that it will happen. Let's just pay for mine. I had a surgery. I had the same injury as you. And like, I'm still fucking paying for it. Cause I was 25 year old punk who went right from hip surgery to powerlifting for four years. And like my knee still fucking hurts. And I had a full labor. Like I played on my labral tear for a whole season. Didn't lift my knee past 90. I'm like, fuck, I'm not, I'm going on on my terms. I wish I would have just quit. 
personally. If you are someone who plays contact sports, hockey, whatever, where you train people, take this stuff seriously. Let's go through a list of stuff. So um, you've got a whole bunch of former hockey players, a lot of the tough guys, a lot of them are dead. Rick Rippin, Derek Bugard, sometimes there's drugs involved. Uh, John Cordick, if you want to go back further, Bob Probert's one of the classics. Wade Belak, there's a whole bunch of different weird things around the circumstance behind all their deaths. Daniel Carcillo and Nick Boytner, a couple tough guys who have been very open about how serious their post-concussion stuff is. Junior Seau is a very famous football player who uh, definitely had CTE and he committed suicide in his early 40s after years of problems. Uh, Chris Benoit, the famous yep. wrestler, you know, early yeah. on, like to throw. Well, his was the most shocking that brought, not brought it to the forefront, but like that was shocking for me. That was earlier on too. And he, he killed his family and killed himself. And, you know, he was obviously serious, um, <clears throat> seriously impacted by CTE. And there's a lot of retired football players that just, their, their brains don't allow them to function normally. So this is a very, very real, scary and emerging thing. I know the Will Smith movie Concussion is about the actual doctor who was the one who both came, I guess, like developed the research and figured it out. And all of the, the people who tried to suppress this, uh, you know, and the, and the leagues like the NFL and, and I guess NHL, I'm not sure to what degree, but they've been in denial that it's been a real There's thing. just education around it. So now regulations, like I remember when I played football, like I couldn't, I couldn't, I could see, but I couldn't take the calls because I couldn't hear because I got my fucking bell rung. And they're like, oh, I'm fine. Like 22 year old males aren't taking themselves on the field for their having their bell rung. Now, if they, if there's la if there's helmet to helmet, they're out for at least three plays. Where like that would never happen. You would have to drag someone off dead to get them off the field. But like that's a big change, like because that wasn't normal. Like probably same thing with rugby. Like you would have to break your fucking leg before they take you off the field. Well, I did break my knee, and they did break me off the field. Yeah, exactly. What well, did fucking happen? <laughs> that's about, that's about the, the pinnacle. Like, uh, like you, 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 your leg snapped up. Okay, you're good. You know, I, I had um, the amount of inquiries that I get for online training and the stories that come in. It's just, you know, it just like for because we're I'm bringing this up because we were talking about concussions, and and there's this guy Jared that reached out. And he, he, he deals with, he had a TBI, so traumatic brain injury, right? And he says, I, I suffer from it. And I said, okay, well, you know, tell me a little bit more about it. Um, you know, uh, like, where was it on the, the Glasgow coma scale kind of thing? Like, I want to know how bad, like, do you still have symptoms? Like, anyways, he was hit by a car. Like, he was ran over, and he was, a, he was like, a, a, a two or three, right, on the Glasgow uh, coma scale, and which is horrible. Um, and, you know, he, he, he can't run. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you have a brain injury, you may look normal, but when you start to do physical activity or get that blood flowing, you're at risk for, for a brain aneurysm or for a blood clot or whatever it may be. And I think as a trainer, if you, so I didn't take him on as a client, obviously, because that's, that's somebody I, he, he's not from here. And, and if he was, I'd obviously take him on and work with him. But, um, he, he, you know, like he needs, uh, he needs somebody to monitor him when he's training and he needs somebody who understands that. Right. Because, um, someone who doesn't understand concussions or have a lot of knowledge on brain injury, you know, you're, you're, you're playing with fire. And so, um, but I felt so bad for the guy because I, I know what it's like to, you know, I haven't had a catastrophic brain injury, but I've had multiple concussions 
where I know what it's like not to be able to train, not feel like yourself, like, you know, just be all fucked up from your concussion and then the post concussion syndromes and stuff like that. And, um, I think if you're a trainer and you come across somebody who has an injury that like a concussion that you do your research, you make sure that you know what, you know, you know, everything about that because that it's important, you know? And, and I think a lot of trainers like take on clients that they don't necessarily, they know in general, like, okay, you have a knee injury. Like I kind of know how the knees built and like, I get how the tendons and the et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like, don't exactly know how to work around that. So they're like, okay, like flexion might be an issue. So maybe we, we, we won't do flexion, but we'll do other things. And so like, I find in the industry sometimes like um, trainers take on clients that are outside their scope. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if, you're, so if you're a trainer who, who has a client or who has somebody who is inquiring about something, I would highly recommend to, if you don't know about it, learn about it and be honest about it and say, listen, I don't know a lot about this, but I want to help you. So here's the plan, you know? Mm. And, and, um, but yeah, that was just like a, a little thing that came to my head with the whole concussion thing and, and working with injuries and, and clients and, and, um, and also the client doesn't really understand sometimes why they can't do something because of an injury, right? They we've get never, frustrated. We've never talked about this before on the podcast and, and some trainers aspire to train young athletes. Uh, you know, I'm working with a young football player right now. He just turned 16. I'm taking on a, one of his teammates and all of a sudden, well, it's good to pursue education to learn, well, how can you help these kids deal with some of the stresses that they're going to experience? And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, concussions occur at a higher rate in women than men. And there's a strong belief that it has to do with neck muscle strength, right? We actually had Greg talking about it. Yeah, Greg, Greg Knuckles did talk about that in at the strength symposium last year. So, you know, knowing about those kinds of things is probably going to help. But how do you develop neck strength? I saw Dr. Sam Spinelli recently put up something on his social media. If you guys want to check this out, scroll back a bit because I know he did some neck strength stuff. I've seen Jordan Scythe do some of that stuff too. Like wrestlers, they train for this sort of thing. So shrugs, the trap bar or 100-pound dumbbells. It makes sense for, you know, combat athletes. So anybody who's wrestling, MMA, mixed, uh, yeah, mixed martial arts, I am being redundant speaking over myself sorry uh, and <laughs> football hockey uh anything along those lines right? so yeah i think you know if you're going to want to work with young athletes you probably need to develop these skills yeah 100 percent. and um you know the only athletes that i work with are rugby and um it's not because i'm not capable of working with other athletes i mean i, I have a rower uh, uh, a girl who rows for canada um but if i don't know like like there's specific programming that goes involved with athletes, right? And um, I I know like to me, I've always been the type of player. Even like if my coach never played the damn sport, and they're like, "Do this," and you're like, "You don't fucking know what it's like, dude." Like, what are you talking about? Telling me just to do that? I know you get the concept, but like, I want, you know, I, I'm a firm believer of like, um, live it, understand it, you know. Um, the human experience. And so 
I, the only athletes that I take on are rugby because I understand the game. I understand the training that goes behind it, the volumes, the et cetera, and, and rowing obviously too. Um, but, um, other than that, like, I don't like, I've had hockey players reach out and, you know, I, I understand that like Olympic lifting is important as an athlete and you can generalize it. But when you have, when you have a hockey player who may need to increase their, their speed on ice, well, I know that they do, you know, I know uh, they do speed sessions are crucial, but when you translate it to the ice, I have no fucking idea. I'm not going to sit there and pretend that I do, because if I do, I'm messing with somebody's career. Oh. So I, uh, I was actually going to say, so any trainers who are following this, um, a good book that I recently picked up and about halfway through and it's highly recommended is Periodization Training for Sports uh, by yeah. Tudor Bompa. And it's a really good resource uh, if you want to learn more about energy systems and training styles for di different athletes. I've always held this philosophy because I, I don't brand myself as a trainer of athletes, but yet I seem to have found a number of them, some adult athletes and, and more and more young young uh, basketball players, hockey players, not football players. I also look at this. So we always talk about how we young athletes shouldn't hyper-specialize in their sport at a young age, right? So I think of strength training as a different sport, a different line of stress. A lot of the, well, the instruction they're going to get in football, rugby, hockey is going to come from their coaches and playing in that world. And I think like this book will do a really good job of understanding the kind of demands that you need for sport. Do they need power? Do they need power endurance? Do they need strength, explosiveness? Uh, you know, you get marathon runners and, and endurance cyclists. Okay, then you're training, you know, different energy systems again. So understanding those things great and work within the client's needs, but you can still probably do, you know, a pretty good job as an athletic trainer. If you don't know, like, I've never played. It's, help, it's helpful to know though. Like you fucking watch it. It's just like, if you know hockey, you know, they're in a fucking flex position the whole time. They don't need any more fucking hip flexion. You have to know a lot. And I think, you know, I think someone at a very, very high level, you know, someone who wants to be a world-class rugby player probably should be training with you before they're training with me. I'm going to say that straight up. And Dean is going to be better at training a lot of football stuff. But for an aspiring trainer who does want to work with athletes, I, I don't necessarily think you have to have a really strong background in that sport. I think if you're great at the principles that underlie it and you can do something that isn't trying to sport specific replicate every single movement that someone does on the field, because they're getting a lot of that. It's a lot of repetitive use anyway. So I like to look at it as I want to create a really robust, resilient athlete with different lines of stress, with different things. So I treat their strength training as if it's actually a different sport from their main sport too. Yeah, I understand. I think it's important too. At what age are they? Are, are, if you're dealing with a more mature athlete, chances are they need specific loading phases. And so when you look at bobsleigh, for instance, um, and people relate rugby to bobsleigh and people who play rugby go and push and they do bobsleigh, but the training is so different because bobsleigh, they're all about the one rep maxes and they do it weekly. And that's why they're pushing for 600 pounds. Like it's insane. The rugby player, you're only hitting your 90, 90% of your max and you're actually not even hitting your one, one RM until three months. Do you know what I mean? And so the training volume is different because the the run like bobsleigh is all about the initial push yeah. right it's the explosiveness and it's the ability to move the sled and i think the sled's 275 pounds i think 
if, mm. if I remember correctly. But in rugby, you're working energy systems. So you're dealing with lactic acid and you're dealing, you know, so if you were to hit your one rep max and the amount of energy that it takes to hit that is a lot. And if you're hitting your one rep max um, once a week, your, your performance is going to decline. And so I, um, I, I think it depends on the level of the athlete and where they're at. And, and chances are if an athlete's coming to see you and they want to be on team Canada or they're just starting out, then yeah, the, the, the normal, like, we're going to build up your strength because you're fucking weak. Like we're going to back squat. We're going to get you a decent back squat, the staples of, of athletic movements, the back squat, the bench press, the pull-ups. Do you know what I mean? You know, the core workout, the neck, the next stuff that is really important as all athletes, whether it's bobsleigh, football, rugby, hockey, it's all going to help. Right. And so I, I do agree with that. It's like you, if you're, if you're dealing with, People like if you're dealing with somebody in the NHL, I guarantee you it's going to be somebody's. There's going to be specific things that they're going to have to work on, and you're going to have to know the specific loading scheme to help them improve. Because it's it's not a guessing game when it comes to sports specific. It is very um, scientific, yeah. and, and that, that's what's so crazy about it. And it's it's exciting to learn about that stuff of how scientific it is based on your you know, they, they take, um, you know, for, in our program, for instance, when we were, they wanted to know our lactic acid, um, levels and stuff. So they would prick us before we would, um, run 40 yard dashes and do like a, a phosphate creatine, um, a shuttle run. And then they'd prick us again after, and then we'd have like GPSs on us. And then we would like run and there'd be like, um, they do, they do like graphs and it's all very scientific stuff. And and, it, and it's like that because then you can hit tangible goals where they're like, oh, go run a four flat, a, you know, 40 meter. And you're like, that's impossible because I mechanically just can't do that. <laughs> like, um, was yeah, like I trained a young hockey player um, and he's in the WHL, but I introduced him to weight training because I trained his dad. So I taught him all the motor patterns. The first three months that you're training a young athlete, the first time they have weights, you're teaching motor patterns. They're developing motor patterns. That's it, right? That's what's happening. They're not necessarily putting on a lot of muscle in that, that little bit of time. They will a bit, but you're right. Like once you get to someone who's at a high level, like the top tiers of their sports, they're not going to be working with trainers who aren't hyper-specialized without that level of experience. So I think as, as a, you know, a trainer who wants to get in with athletes, you're probably better off being capable at having the knowledge base to work with young athletes. Yeah. But yeah, if if you or like learning how to go to Team Canada rugby, you just yeah. learn that, right? You you need to be work like you <laughs> referred me rugby players that you coach, and I've trained them because you know you can do a solid strength training program, work around their injuries, all that sort of stuff. But when it comes down to someone who's playing at the level you're playing at, you had the best coaching available in the industry. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and you know, like I think um, you, you know you don't. If you don't know something as a trainer, don't be afraid to reach out to your peers and ask questions. And I think not, you know, there's, 
it's not an ego thing. And, and, and there's a lot of trainer, trainers out there who have egos. And, and me as a trainer, I'm like, yo, I don't, I don't know that. Like, I want to learn about that. Because if you're a trainer who stops learning, you're going to be shit in the industry. And you're, you're going to do your clients a disservice. So um, us as trainers, I think we need to stay together, build each other up, build each other's businesses too. You know, like, don't fight over clients. Like, I know I'm all about empowering other trainers women especially because we lack that in the industry um but you know like if you're in calgary go see this trainer if you're in whatever you know i've sent you you clients to uh, andrew where i'm like i'm full here go check out this this trainer i vouch for him he you know i would train with him so if i if he's good enough for me he's going to be good enough for you right so it's it's um you know in that in that aspect trainers like just a side note is that you don't know something, don't be afraid to ask. Trust me, there's there's a lot of people who would sit in a room, someone would be talking and be like, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But you know, you gotta you gotta ask the questions. That's the whole point of this podcast. I mean, anyone who's listened to us long enough can look through the library of people we've talked to and you have people who are the best in the industry in their fields. So we do, we have this massive resource library of people I have, we personally have access to, but we're also directing everybody else to follow. And you're talking about supporting women. And this is something I feel very strongly about too, is, you know, our industry is heavily male dominated, heavily. So traditionally, especially strength, strength conditioning. And oftentimes women will, the ones that are in personal training, they'll veer off into nutrition or wellness or, or some other aspects, or, or they have more of a social media presence. So you don't get a lot like Savon Fagan we mentioned earlier, who wants to be in that strength and conditioning space. But uh, you know, I'm love finding people not just because they're women, because I'm I, fuck tokenism. But actually, like if you look at our podcast guest list, there's a ton of really, really incredible female uh, fitness professionals on that list. Is it one to one ratio of men? No. Nope. Will we try to do that? No, nope, because that's the definition of tokenism. By going fifty fifty, and not to get political, but a certain politician made his cabinet 50 50 and he didn't he basically made it seem like he chose the women because they were women not because they were qualified and he set them up to fail and some of them very very visibly did moving off of politics no politics find people who are qualified and then we also have a duty to try to find those people who are undiscovered who are qualified because glass ceilings don't break themselves right so we have to do better with that so, you know, anyone who is out there who shares the work of other people in the industry, familiarize yourself with a broader range of people and find those people who aren't getting the recognition, who are just as good and as qualified as some of the men who have the aggression, the stereotypically male sort of traits that push them into the spotlight in the forefront. There's a lot of women who, I, I, I don't know if I can explain this very well, but I know traditionally it's it's women who do the same sort of thing aren't viewed in the same positive light as men who are aggressive, right? Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because I've, I've come across bodybuilders who have clients and they, it's like, what the, like, what are you doing? Like their approach even like what they, and that's what people don't understand is what trainers do for themselves doesn't mean that's going to work for you. Right. And, and women in the industry, like, Men can just be like, I'm a man, I work out, I have muscles, I know what I'm doing because I have muscles. And people look at that and they're like, yeah, you must know what you're doing because you have muscles. But can that individual imply, like, like, develop a program for an individual without muscle? 
for a female or for a male. You know, I, I've come across really shitty male trainers. I've come across really shitty female trainers. I don't care what gender you are. I care about if you're a quality, like a, a quality trainer. And I don't, you know, I, I don't get mad that there's more male trainers in the industry. I get mad that there's more trainers in the industry that aren't qualified to be in the industry and that or you know, frauds. I call them frauds. You, those COVID was horrible for that shit because like online program, $50, $40. Uh, you go on Kijiji. Oh, I'm a personal trainer. Come to my house. Oh, I'll do a house call. I'm going to charge you $60 and they don't know a fucking thing. And they're the ones ruining it because it, it, it leaves a sour taste in clients mouths about trainers. And I've had clients say I've had trainers before I'm giving it one more shot. And there's other clients who are like, you know, um, who I hear from, you know, I've had a client who has a friend who had a trainer and they're like, they'll never do it again. And it's like, damn it, because that asshole ruined their experience. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's just, you know, would I like to see more women in the industry? Absolutely. Because I love seeing women succeed. But at the same time, I want you to be qualified. And that's the same with firefighting. Like I have a client right now who used to be a social worker and she wants to become a firefighter. And she's been working with me for two and a half years now. And the coolest thing was that she wanted to be more. So that's what training did for her. She got fit, she got strong, and she's like, I can be more, so I'm gonna do that. So um, I remember talking to a bunch of firefighters at the, the Evolve seminar. and they're saying that the firefighting organization is going to change the fitness um, requirements, one for male, one for female, to make it more um, equal. I think that is the dumbest fucking thing you could do because let me tell you this, people who are, who the average person's 220, like is what they're saying, right? And if you're, trying to save somebody and you cannot do the standards of what the like the original test is you have no place being there because because it, you're saving lives you have to be qualified for the job and I've come across weak men who are trying to become firefighters and they're not like oh go do the female version then like no there's you know what I mean I think there should be one test and you should be qualified um you should qualify for that way there shouldn't be a female test or a male test. And that's the same thing with the training is like, doesn't matter if you're female or male, you gotta be, you gotta just make sure you're qualified. Um, because you're delivering, you're, you're giving, you know, you you have people's lives in your hands. Like it's progressivism and political correctness run amok. And there are occasional examples. I, I, I do agree with you. I, I think one standard you described, well. we, I'm out of time. And I know we're, we have, we've had so much to talk we about it everywhere today. It was good. And, you know, I, I, want, I want everybody to sort of zero back on something, too. You, you hear me and Jen actually sort of differing on some opinions and approaches. And keep in mind, we've been friends for 10 years. We know each other really well. And what I hope people take from that is, you know, you have to tailor things to the best that suits you. And oftentimes the things that I've said are actually, I'm, diff I'm the one who's a little different from a lot of the things that a lot of people do. And I actually agree that most people should probably do it the way Jen has said, a few of the things I've described are just things that there's sort of my nuance to it too. So 
uh, hopefully you you pick up on that and uh, God forbid because I know someone's going to get offended that I yeah, Andrew I, hates Jen and then I'm going to get I'm going to get yelled at and called out on social media again. No, but, you know what? You know what though, Andrew is like to all trainers or to all people who are listening to this. Know that everybody has their different way to attack training, and it all looks different. So don't sit there. My I'm outside the box too. You know, I don't, I'm not conventional in the, in, in certain ways of how I track, uh, attack training and other trainers will look at that and say, that's just, that's not right. However, I get results. Guess what, Andrew, you get results. So however you, however you want to do it, and if it works, then do it. And I don't think, you know, that's where we as trainers need to have an open mindset. Everybody does it differently. If your client at the end of the day is enjoying training, they're not injured and they're getting results, then you're doing your fucking job. And you're on here talking to us because you are great at what you do. And you're someone that I relentlessly try to get people to know that you're in our space. And I want people to follow you. I want people to see what you're up to in your training world. I want to draw you more into our world a little bit. I'm and our Instagram is funny. Because you, yeah. you got singing, you oh. got shenanigans oh. on the treadmill in a, in a, in a whatever, a laundry basket. You also have yeah. um, drinking in Mexico. <laughs> Tell everyone ice where cream, to find there's ice cream on there, lots of media. Yeah, so you can find me um, on Instagram, on Twitter with uh, just type in my name, Jen Kish. It will it will show up. Um, my content is real. Um, sometimes I go a lot heavy on the fitness. Sometimes I don't talk about fitness at all. I'll talk about life stuff, what I'm up to. Um, so I'm not like if you're specifically wanting pure fitness type stuff. I'm probably not the one you should follow, but if you want a, a real down to earth trainer who has clients who does do the training, who, who some, you know, like I, I just not, my feet is not entirely all training because my life isn't all about training. You know, I'm a public figure. I do other things. I advocate, um, you know, I, I cause shit too, um, when it doesn't sit well. So, I, uh, yeah. So if you want to follow, follow, if not, then that's all, that's okay too. But I hope that everybody um, who listens to this stays respectful of everybody who's on here because, you know, we're all trying to do one thing and we're just trying to help people. And I think that's what, what matters. And we're just trying to bring our knowledge and share it together. And I've learned, you know, things today and I hope you guys caught some stuff that I've said and, um, and that's how the industry in the, in the fitness world is going to keep evolving as we keep sharing information and we keep, um, talking about conversations surrounding that. I learn every podcast we have that uh, with every guest that's come on. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. We are going to post this up in two days. So listeners, you're obviously getting this, uh, on the Thursday and, uh, guys, thanks again for listening and staying tuned. We've got some really cool, interesting, and potentially very big guests coming up in the very near future. So uh, hang around for that. Shut up and sit down.